It's Monday, April the 20th, and we have Jack Berry of Richmond Regional Tourism, Lee Gregory of Alewife, and Roby is waiting on a delivery case of wine. Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Hello and welcome to Eat It, Virginia. My name is Scott Wise and I'm joined as always by my friend, my friend, Roby Martin. Roby, before I toss it to you, I want to uh, first, you know, thank all of our listeners for continuing to download and listen. If they want to reach out to us via social media, it's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Eat It Virginia. Roby, how has your how has your week been in quarantine? That's been a lot of work. That you know how it is. You've got a big full time job going too. So people you, don't you, want to hear about our work. They don't want to hear about. You, our they work. don't want to know. You're eating. I saw. I saw. And I don't know if this is an internet rumor or if this is true. I saw that you actually left the house in the I last left, couple of days. I left the house. It is not what, an inter- internet rumor. No. What pray tell? What pray tell got you out of your house? Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but I run a charity called the Holly Fund, which is currently giving out grants to the local Richmond area food service workers. And there is a spot called People's Pie, who is owned by Craig Perkinson, who is doing pop-ups and they benefit the Holly Fund. So pizza and benefiting the restaurant industry got me out of the house. How about that? So it wasn't just pizza? No, it was pretty good pizza, but it's not just pretty good pizza. No. Now, Craig, remind me where he came from. Craig was with Southbound. He was the chef de cuisine at Southbound, and now he's moved over to very near where the CBS studios are, right across the street. Where I am not anymore. Yes, doing pop-up pizza in his to-go-only spot that was supposed to open maybe about four or five weeks ago, and then obviously this happened, so now he is... I, I don't know how he's doing it, but he is donating quite a bit of money for every pop-up to the Hollywood. That's amazing. So everybody support Craig and his pizza. So Craig's old boss, Lee Gregory, is our featured guest on the podcast today. He is. We we interviewed Lee back in January. We have alluded to this interview a couple of times because it was such a great interview with Lee. We spoke with him back in January and we were kept on trying to find a spot to put the interview and timeliness and things just kept on coming up and we weren't able to run it. Um, hopefully it's a it's a beacon of light in, in these dark times because he he was he was pretty amazing that day. He's amazing every day, but he was pretty amazing that day in particular. He's a good dude. It's a fun to, fun interview to listen to. Then we have Jack Barry, who is um, with Richmond Regional Tourism. And they have a very parallel some thing to what we have going on called We're Open. Right. We're showing what restaurants ha- are have takeaway, have curbside to go, have delivery, and they have a pretty large campaign running. That's a great segue, Roby, to what I want to talk about next. Um, I'm going to throw out some news headlines for you in terms of local restaurant news. I, I want to get your hot take on, on these, these hot topics for the week. You know, we, we've, we've talked about a lot of restaurants closing temporarily because of, of COVID-19. How about Chard in Chesterfield? Just opens opening. right up. Oh opening during this during this uh pandemic i don't know i guess they got to pay their rent right scott i mean yeah i mean the article that i read our friends at richard business reported uh this week um they interviewed the owners who who also own social 52 in the fan 
and, and basically how they had to, they had this concept and uh, they had to flip it around real quick. Mm-hmm. Open right up. There it is. Just go, just go get it. Another one of our favorite restaurants that opened up this week. I actually just got off the line with him. Ronnie Logan, Ronnie's original barbecue. (laughs) He's, he's like the close for a little bit. Open up. Everybody's excited. Close for a little bit. (laughs) I mean, I actually really like his style. He's like, are you missing my ribs? I'm back. (laughs) I just spoke with him over zoom and it was so good to see his smile and his face and, and hear his voice. Uh, so that interview's probably aired. It's probably posted on CBS Six, and we'll get. I'll uh, clip it for a pod, a future podcast, maybe our next podcast. That'd we'll be clip great. that interview because he, he's so great. Something to be excited about, which I know you have um, a deep understanding of, is something new that's happened in the last few days: is the to-go cocktail phenomenon. Oh yes. What, what was that? Oh okay. I thought you were having negative. <laughs> I, I misinterpreted your roof. Oh no, that's exciting. I love that it's here. It did not come soon enough, in my opinion. Have you been able to partake? We are going to do some grisette cocktails tomorrow night. Okay, so hopefully, let's see, this is coming out Monday. We're recording this on Thursday. So hopefully you have something on your Instagram that people can still access. Maybe you can put that on a highlight for somebody. Absolutely. I got, well, I mean, I've seen, so the ones that have been looking out gd standing to me i mean i don't know if you've seen beth dixon she's been on the podcast she's got some seriously sick looking cocktails happening over there at perch john mayer who's been on the podcast he's doing his which are at grisette and they're they look great since we're talking about alcohol let's talk about what happened at the veil last week did you see the that whole uh, to do oh and I, I, let me tell you 45 million messages about it so for those of you who are unaware, I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are aware, but The Veil had an anniversary release last week, which they were promoting on their social media, and uh, they had quite a long line, and quite a few people showed up to, to get that beer. Of course, Virginia is under a stay-at-home order right now, and people are being asked not to gather in large groups, which is exactly what happened outside the brewery that day. So I got a couple thoughts on that. A, I think that the veil gets a ton of publicity when stuff like this happens with them, rightly deserved. And I don't know if it's up to them to police the individuals that are coming to get the beer. I think they put the social distancing spaces in effect and people chose not to follow them. And we all know that that happens in more places than just the veil. So, some places, other restaurants that have had things that were like big deals have had long lines and they have not been vilified for their lengthy line. And I think the Vale has a lot of publicity because they're, they're one of the best breweries in Virginia. And maybe even the United States. Yeah. Um, and I think that sometimes people throw rocks at shiny things and that they can't be responsible for other people's actions. That's that being point. said, that being said, they have changed their, some of their policies and they're going uh, to go orders and deliveries now. Of not, course they have. Pick up. And yeah. I, you know, what, what would you do if you were them? I mean, you can't be outside separating children while trying to do your job. So they've had to change their situation so they can make sure that they're not in that situation again. Um, their social media messaging seemed to be but they were very surprised that they had a long line. I mean, I, we work around the corner from, from the Vale, and uh, I'm pretty sure there's a long line 
um, every Tuesday. Is that not the case every Tuesday? I think this was a huge release. I do think they knew it was going to be a huge release. And I think that they were expecting a lot of people. So maybe there could have been some forethought there. But I think it's up to the people that are getting the beer for them to pay attention sure. to where they I are mean, and their own a, health. As a society, we have to look after each other. So yep. whether you're at the grocery store or waiting in line for beer, use your, use your head. Use your head. Common yep. sense. Be cognizant. Okay, so next up, we have Jack Barry of Richmond Regional Tourism. <clears throat> I'm excited to, list, to talk to Jack. Let's let him in. Is he in the virtual waiting room? No, he's here. He probably just doesn't know that we're here because... Hi, Jack! Bobby, how are you? <laughs> Good. Good. Hi, how are you, sir? Good. Good. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. So, how has your day been? Days are busier than ever before. I bet they are. What I... is your day like? Do you, like what exactly do you do on a daily basis uh, on a normal day? And how about in the in these days so so the biggest difference is is the commuting time from between meetings so that you know when you have a meeting in chesterfield county you've got to give yourself a half hour to get there then my next meeting will be up in hanover which you know take a little while to get up there so you've built in this time well now because of zoom you can do these like every every 15 minutes and yesterday i had 12 meetings uh, the day before it's 10 meetings, you know, being at home, uh, you just kind of never let it go. You just, and I think everybody's feeling the same thing from what I'm reading. So it's, it's a really, like everybody is feeling this. It's a very, very busy time for everybody. Do you at least change rooms in your house for the meetings? Like you have a Chesterfield room and a Hanover room? No. Podcast uh, room? What, I, what I've just figured out was the, um, how to change the background. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lovely. It's lovely. And of course, you know, this is, this is NASCAR weekend. It should have been. Oh, yeah. So this is, um, this is very much in the top five weekends of the entire calendar year for visitors coming into town. Uh, this would have been a really strong, strong weekend for them. Oh, God, that's tough to hear. I mean, I mean it's obviously, uh, we're hearing this across the board for most everything is how, how things are tough, but that's really tough to hear. You know, we were we were really had great momentum going into this year's race. Uh, great ticket sales were going on. It was going to be another record-setting year for uh, the Richmond region in visitation and travel expenditures. Uh, we were tracking. This was actually this was going to be our busiest year ever. But there was kind of like a light switch in the right, like the first week of March or right after like the eighth or ninth. That yeah. all of a sudden it just shut down nationwide. And I mean, like the hotels went from 80% occupancy down to less than 5% occupancy. So it was really, it wasn't a gradual shutdown. It was dramatic. Is part of your job to lobby on behalf of restaurants and, and tourism, or are you more getting people to come down here and experience Richmond? Well, that's, that's what ha how it works, is that our mission are to put heads in beds for the hotels. So when, like for this weekend, for NASCAR, so we would want people to come, they stay at the hotel, then obviously you've got to eat. So they would be spending a lot of uh, money at the restaurants. And then a lot of times people will go shopping as a distraction too. So it's a huge economic de development driver. 
what's interesting is that the Richmond region, we have four very strong pillars of travel, um, different than like Virginia Beach or Williamsburg, because like Williamsburg, it's from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Well, in Richmond region, there is no soft period of the year because in the winter from January through March, we've got General Assembly, we have the Jefferson Soccer uh, Cup tournament. Uh, we have a lot of conventions at the convention center. And then so from April to June, we continue on with more meetings, but then also we're very strong in corporate travel because we're host of seven Fortune 500 companies. So all year round, you've got business travel coming and going. We're on I-95, I-64, I-85, so we're a huge interstate destination. And then of course, family and friends, which is the biggest motivator for travel. Um, it's the number one reason people travel around the world. It's the number one reason people go to California, Illinois, Virginia, is, and especially now, is thinking family and friends particularly. But we're very, very, you know, it's a very invisible industry. You, no one pays attention to it, but it's a huge economy. It's 24,000 jobs uh, in the Richmond region. Tell me a little about the impetus behind Takeout RVA. Like that's obviously something as, as we talk about food in, in Virginia and primarily Richmond, Scott and I do daily. That's been a, I've been following your signs and I think it's been great. So what started that? Well, so what actually started it was the, uh, our jurisdictions. You know, we have seven funding jurisdictions uh, and we have over a thousand restaurants that are dispersed among those seven jurisdictions. And a visitor doesn't know if they're in Richmond or Chesterfield, Hanover, or Henrico. And the administrators from the jurisdiction said, you know, immediately the hotels and the restaurants were impacted right away and how can we help them? And so our team got together we devised this sign that says carry out uh, and we distributed them through the region all over the seven jurisdictions and the sign is to like when you're driving by a restaurant you don't know if it's open or closed and so the sign we printed over 500 of these signs and distributed them we're still distributing them uh, but it's to really just advertise that they are open uh, i was at in Carytown last night uh, we were we had done our order for carryout, but then there were people walking in for you know, ordering as well. Um, and you've got to know that they're open to do that. The other interesting part is that it's on our website. We, we maintain an inventory of who's open for takeout and delivery, uh, but it's www.takeoutrva.com. And we have hundreds of restaurants that are on that. So, People can just go to our website, which is visitrichmondva.com, and the websites are more important than ever uh, to get out the word for the restaurants. I know there's a lot of uh, talk amongst the restaurateurs and small business owners about needing help from local government. Uh, what, is, what, if anything, is your organization doing to, to lobby on behalf of, of those restaurateurs? Okay, so again, you know, this, I, you know it's, this is the greatest place to live on earth because as soon as this pandemic came in, the administrators in these jurisdictions have so much on their plate, no pun intended, that they were thinking of the restaurants and hotels. And so the hospitality and restaurant community went to the jurisdictions and said, we need help because of cash flow. And the board of supervisors immediately jumped into action 
uh, in uh, Chesterfield, Henrico, and Hanover, and put in legislation that you can't, didn't have to pay the meals tax in Henrico. Uh, you can defer it without taxes or penalties or interest. The same thing with hotels for the same three jurisdictions. City Council has that on their agenda for next week. It has to go through. You cannot forgive a tax. I mean, a tax is levy. There's no way you can forgive it, but you can collect it at a later date. And, and again, the, the interesting thing is because of the jurisdictions here, this was used as a model for the rest of Virginia, is that Virginia Restaurant Lodging Travel Association, Eric Terry, we contacted him and said, you know, you really want to take a look what the counties and the city are doing here in central Virginia. And that has gone across the state. And I liken to say that uh, Neil Amin, who's a hotelier here, he got with the counties and the city and he came up with this kind of an idea and they ran with this thing. They didn't even blink. They said, how can we get this done? And it was one of the counties, they were meeting on a retreat Put it in action that very day. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, you always hear about the stereotype of government and the bureaucracy. These guys hit the ground running with that. And again, the challenge for the restaurant and the challenge for the hotel is cash flow, is to have a cash liquidity going on. What is Richmond tourism going to look like when this is over? How are you planning for the future? Okay, so, uh, so we're kind of connected with uh, Virginia Tourism Corporation. Rita McClenney's heads that up. Uh, she's kind of our mothership for all of Virginia. I think and she's like my mothership too. I love her. She's just so fantastic. She's just, she just is so great and just and so full of energy. Well, this morning, of course, she's giving us the kind of like the, what we have to do and what we got to get going and the trends. And the interesting takeaways which I think is really true, but this is kind of nationwide, is the staycation is gonna be very prevalent this summer. People are not gonna be wanting to, I'm just gonna be frank, they're not gonna to wanna to get on a plane and go, they'll wanna drive, but they won't wanna to go too far and they'll be very, very uh, secure in being close. So what that's telling me is our visitor is gonna be very heavily, it is, Virginia's one of our top uh, visitors, of course, but ever more so. So we're gonna be gearing up for the staycations. We're actually, we've got a big campaign ready for Tidewater to go once the cloud lifts. Uh, but right now we're working very, very hard preparing for this uh, and mobilizing like you've never seen it before. And we also think like the smaller communities, not the DC, not the New Yorks and Chicago's, we think the second tier markets will come out quicker than they will for the major city. That makes sense. If you had a choice, if you're in Fredericksburg, would you go to Washington or would you go to Richmond? And we think they would be coming to Richmond. Uh, and I think that's very true just nationwide that it's gonna be a conservative comeback, but travel and leisure will be the fastest uh, company coming out of this. Sure, sure it is. I'm, I'm hitting a lighter note because you know that's how I like to wrap up an interview, Scott, something high and I, I want to talk this trivia game. How do we get involved? Where can I win all of the food trivia? Ja I mean, tell me all the things. Okay, uh, go to our website. Uh, it's, it's trivia with uh, RVA kind of highlighted, but go to visitrichmondva.com. Answer the questions. We change them every week. But 
I'm just telling you, it's hard. It's not that it's easy. Hard. <laughs> so, it's hard, what's, what's an example? What's an example, not Jack? Easy. What's oh, an example? I, I I'm not allowed to divulge one. But the interesting thing is my friends and my neighbors are dinging me and saying, hey, this is not easy. Well, we what, got a big what do I get if I know all the food answers? So food? There's a gift card that you get if you win, but there's so many that are out there. But again, I've got, and the other interesting thing about is the credibility of people because not everybody's getting 100% of these questions. You can Google and get the answers to this. And people don't do that. They do it very honestly. That's so good. So I'm putting no, the pressure no. on you both. You got to be, can't cheat. You can't go. No cheating, it. Ruby. Ruby's a cheater, by the way. No, I'm not oh, a cheater. I'm not a cheater. Jack, I can't tell you how awesome it was that you're able to join us today. I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm headed directly to win this trivia game with no cheating. Thank you. And everybody stay safe, stay healthy. And thank you. Thanks so Thank much. You. Appreciate it. Have a good after evening. Have a good evening. Have good takeout. Thank you. <laughs> Jack had some really good takeout Tuesday, takeout RVA ideas. Have you seen that list yet? He said there's hundreds of restaurants on there. You have to admit that I didn't even know that was a list. But I need to tell Leah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, totally. That's one of the things we're, we're getting a lot of restaurants emailing us at the station and being asked to be put on our list. And yeah, because it's, I keep saying labor intensive. Oh, it's your fault. Thank you. Appreciate that. They're like, um, is it you or me? Is it is it Scott or you? And I'm like, it is not me. But I can tell you where to go. And here is Leah. And I love Leah. So that's what Le I'm doing. Leah's great. Uh, Leah works with me on the web team at Channel 6. Um, back to taking out food. Have you had takeout at Alewife since this whole thing started? No, but I really want to. And they have this lobster thing that looks that looks delicious. And they have this crab thing that looks delicious. And they have this snakehead, which is a fish, not a snake, that looks delicious. And if you can't tell, I really would like some seafood. Well, one of the brains behind the operation, Lee Gregory, joined us back in January. He told us kind of the origin story for, for Alewife and his origin story as well. Dropped some dang knowledge. So without further ado, this is kind of a long interview. We were talking about the best, but I figure this is the perfect time to release this interview because what else is everybody doing right now? I mean, we're all just sitting around. We're working, but we also have lots of free time. So. Also, how about some pro tips for when restaurants like start to reemerge? <laughs> like, I feel like these are some, these are some, the proiest of pros. Oh, you know what I want to talk about before we go to the interview? And this what is, is like, so my birthday is in February, and my brother took me to Alewife for my birthday, and I got blowed up there. So we, we ordered like our normal food. We ordered an appetizer. We ordered, you we ordered told an entree. Me about this. Yes. Oh my gosh, it was so incredible. And Lee it was, I think it was a Monday night. Um, so Lee works the kitchen on Monday nights. Bobo was not there, but Lee and Amanda and Matt they kept on just sending food out and plate after plate after plate. I tried things that I would never think that I would ever try before. And what did you try that you've never tried that you loved the most? They sent out um, these like crab claws. Like, I'm going to, I don't know all the words, but it's a, it's, it's like a, I mean, it, it looks like a crab claw. So it probably is a crab the way, claw. The way it was prepared is what I'm saying. Like it wasn't like a crack them and pull the meat out crab claw. No, you like, pull them straight from the thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, it was so, it was amazing. Um, they sent out uh, a caviar 
mascarpone uh, thing. Was it wasn't an oyster, but it was. Uh, gosh, I mean, it was. It's been. I was. I was hoping to talk very eloquently about this meal because I was hoping we would do this uh, interview months ago, but. You know, that such is life, I guess. Um, you, know, but I just wanted to th- you don't have to talk eloquently. How did you like the meal? Uh, like I said, I got, uh, it was, it was incredible. It was, it's, the, not only was the food good, obviously the atmosphere up at Ale Life is, is pretty remarkable. The people behind the scenes, uh, super sweet, super nice, um, super low key, right? It's not a very pretentious spot, not at all, but the, the kind of food they, they do and how they do it is really just um, to treat. It's like is crazy zero waste it's cocktails from like true scratch it's using the pieces and parts of the animal fish keep going that you wouldn't normally use it's bringing in invasive species to help our chesapeake waters so forth and so on it's dang brilliant so lee talks about all that and about a little bit about his life again this was recorded before COVID 19 was a thing so if he seems Chipper and happy. We, we all know he's working extremely hard right now trying to keep Alewife afloat. And maybe pantsless. And maybe pantsless. The, the, I'm a little nervous, I got to tell you, Scott, right now, because we have the original James Beard Award nominee. The first one for The Richmond. OG JB? Well, I mean, if 2011 can be considered... Was Dale not one? Was Dale one? I don't think he was. I'm not real sure. First mistake of the podcast. Was he for, one? For for some reason, I think that he was, but I I don't really know. I don't I don't actually know either. I thought that you were the first for Richmond. Maybe so. We'll fact check that. Well, well good. I think we should because we I don't want to leave don't Dale out. Don't worry about fact check. Let's kick him to the curb <laughs> where he belongs. Absolutely. And Straight just, over there I'll at Acacia, just, yeah, which I'll is just, on the curb right yeah, there. So I'll just take the the. So there it is. Now we don't have to fact check it. We're going with Lee is the original in 2000. Lee's original. I think there's a restaurant about that, isn't there? Lee's original. That also was named after me. Yes. All of these things. Yeah, yeah. most of it. What does that feel like, Lee Gregory? Uh, The James Beard thing? Yeah, I mean, like you're coming along, (laughs) just doing your thing. The Roosevelt has just opened in Churchill essentially maybe for about a year it was yeah I, you know I don't know I try to go back and imagine what that was like or remember what that was like rather and I think it was just complete and utter shock I mean at that moment you know the internet was changing we were able to follow things a lot faster um, you know as a younger cook you would I would go to blogs every day you know, and scroll through what everyone had. And I would follow these guys from afar and, like, I guess um, imagine what it would be like to be nominated for something like that, but never really took it seriously. Didn't feel like something that could happen in Richmond, you know? Sure. Um, and then to kind of be thrust into that limelight or that circle was uh, pretty intense and kind of cool. And, you know, more than anything for me, just kind of like a icing on the cake in a sense, like, I don't think that we've ever, we, uh, I, I guess, ever taken any of this stuff so seriously and to be, you know, mentioned in the same breath or on the same page in a sense with a bunch of people you look up to is kind of flattering. Did you hear from a bunch of those people? Like when the announcement comes up, comes out, best chef mid-Atlantic, is it now like a 
fraternity, like the whole group of people that are nominated, do they text each other? Or I mean, like- I think so. I think that happens certainly in some circles. Um, and the, f- the few people that I kind of really keep in touch with that I know would certainly reach out. In truth, I always forget about it. Like, I never really look forward to it. It's not really on my radar. And the times that I've been nominated, in all honesty, the only way I've known it is Ian Bowden texts me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, hey, thanks. Or it's Yay. always like a congrats. I'm like, what's going on? You know. For people that don't know, Ian Bowden is this chef or the owner, chef owner of The Shack, which is in Stanton, spelled with a U. And he and you, like, either followed each other or had, like, a weird trajectory in Charlottesville. We like, did. One right we, after. Had, we had a very weird tra- trajectory in general. I had taken a job in Stanton at this place called Mockingbird. It was, like, a kind of a music venue slash restaurant. It was right down the street from Stanton Grocery. Oh, yum. Which is where I kind of originally met Ian I didn't last very long there, maybe a year or so before I realized it was just not for me, too far from my family, whatever. So I took a job at Blue Light in Charlottesville. Shortly thereafter, the Roosevelt opened up. I, I, I got involved with the Roosevelt, and Ian shut down Stanton Grocery and then went to work at Blue Light and kind of got back on his feet and figured out what he wanted to do. And then from there, he went to that glass place. I can't remember what it was. Glass Glass stove, house. Glass, glass, glass house. That's right. With it, maybe it was H A U S. I feel like I was On there the for train a, tracks. Yes. There. Mm-hmm. Next then, to a bakery. You know, shack and here we are, you know, many years later. But um it's funny, we're we're I guess better buddies now than we even were in Stanton. When you were um, like across the street from yeah, each other. You know, just trying to work and keep our you know grind it out. So we didn't really get a chance to talk, but since then done events and gone to festivals and stuff together and kind of became pals so pretty he's, cool. a, he's a good guy you're a good guy i can see you guys being pretty pals cool. pretty cool you mentioned that you thought that richmond wasn't the place that could get a chef nominated for a, uh the best chef in the mid-atlantic um what what do you know about that process like how did that all come about what were you doing that you that might have got you that national acclaim i i don't know a single thing about the process or how it works. It seems to be one of life's mysteries to figure out how you land on one of these things. I mean, I think, you know, everyone has to do a good job to be included, but I think it's a, you know, it starts with local press and gradually builds and builds and builds and your name gets out there far enough that people are like, ah, he or she's doing a great job. Like they deserve to be on this thing or you're doing something that matters. And, you know, aside from just, opening a restaurant or running a kitchen or whatever. But I, you know, going back to the Ian thing, when I came up and when I worked for Dale, um, which could be the original James Beard, which could be the original James Beard, right. (laughs) I'm just going to retract that. That was just something that wasn't on our radar. Like, I mean, I didn't grow up, you know, I didn't work in New York city. I didn't work in Philly. I didn't work in Chicago. I didn't, that, that like beard house stuff was just, was not on our radar. So, as a young cook, again, not following that culture, I was more than shocked to be kind of tossed into it in, in my 30s, you know. Um, but I, I think it's just – I think you just get a run of, like, heat and media. and a run of heat. <laughs> and, and it just happens. And, I mean, that's, you know – been the staggering thing about L Wife, like it's in in some sense it's happened twice, mm-hmm. or in every sense. I mean, it has happened it twice. It has happened twice. <laughs> um, and it's 
know, not what you set out for. You know, you just hope you can keep the doors open. And every day is a challenge, you know. And even for me and people with great success, that's a real priority these days in Richmond. Um, but I think you just kind of fall into it. I, I, right now it's really interesting when you say that keeping the doors open is a real priority. There's been just in the last, like, January, there's been some interesting closings, right. things that you don't, maybe you do because you sit intrinsically right. in the actual environment of restaurants, but you just don't see them coming or you hear that they're coming, but you right. think, nah, what are your, why do you think that's going on? Um, you know, Richmond is a product of our own success, right? Like, um, eight or 10 years ago, we had a wave of restaurants that opened up that made restaurants even more accessible and more and more and more and more. And now we're in this excess where just like any other city, our prices and rents have gone up. Sure but our sales haven't gone up to match those things. You know, in the restaurant industry, everybody wants to get paid more and work less. And that's a real thing that people deserve sure. to have happen. Absolutely. But in doing so, we have to either raise our payroll budget or hire more people, which in other words, raises our payroll budget. Right. Food, shockingly expensive. Sure. Nothing's cheap. We, we pay in a lot of the times the same prices that Y'all would pay at the farmer's markets. There's not like discounts. A farmer can get it at a market. Why isn't he going to give us a de sure. you know, give us a break? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to buy locally and source locally, which is expensive. We don't really get a break. We, we in return, have to try to give a break to customers because in Richmond, let's just be honest, it's still about, about value for the most part. We're cheap diners. We're I'll cheap, be, I will, I will, cheap I'll say diners. It. We are cheap diners. I mean, everything that we do at Elwife – is as cheap as we can get, and we're still, you know, 35, 38, 42% food costs. Like, it should be in the mid-20s. Right. But we we don't charge enough for it so that people come, you know. Um, and hopefully, you know, maybe our food cost is whacked out, but we get people in there drinking, and it kind of evens things out. But for the most part, there's very few restaurants in town that can get away with charging what they really need to get to charge for. Um, and I've just always been on the other side of it. Like I'm scared to, I mean, we, we have $30 entrees that uh, every time I look at it, I cringe. So I'll put you on the spot. Let's say steak and potatoes, which we, it's not an alewife thing, but let, I mean, but you guys do gr great stuff in that. But let's say steak and potatoes, which is very much a Richmond. Mm -hmm. What should it cost? Um, really? I mean, you look at any steakhouse, it should cost what they, they so get away with charging. A it steak? should be 50 bucks for, for, for a, uh, you know, eight ounce filet or a nice ribeye or sure. a New York strip. Like, it should be that. That's just the steak. And you guys have $30 yeah. like, entrees that include sides. For instance, we just did it at Southbound, right? And put on more steaks, kind of a chop house thing um, that I've been trying to get to for a long time. It just finally materialized the options for that. Um, but a center cut eight ounce filet that we buy pre-portioned, so, so there's consistency. I think that our cost is like almost sixteen bucks. So that alone should be forty eight dollars, right? You know, and then you know a side is four or five, six bucks, whatever. So you're looking at fifty two dollar thing that you know, Roos Chris Fleming's steakhouses can 
for some reason get away with. It's okay there, but not always okay at Alewife or Metzger or where, you know any small the local lo- places, local place. Yes. Um, there's only there's there's very few that can actually get away with it, and for whatever reason, it's socially acceptable. It's interesting. I don't know why. So all that being said, how do you keep the doors open? <laughs> uh, booze. Yeah. That's it? That's a secret? Yeah. For him and No, I mean, we, you know, we, uh, we, we try to cut in other ways um, and uh, reward the customer for, for, for being supportive in other ways. But, uh, I mean... A lot of time that overworks you, though, don't you think? Because you have to cut costs, and the first person that I'm sure feels or, it is or the individual, the yeah. owner, or the mm-hmm. or the the managers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also just kind of the way it is. Um, it's kind of the way it is. It just it shouldn't be that way. I want to put that out there. I is. feel like that Flemings and Ruth Chris should not get away with the fifty eight dollars steak if someone like Southbound, who you know. I, I realize they're all employing local individuals, but it's owned not by someone who can afford the advertising. Sure, the that, marketing budgets. Exactly, that some of those larger spots can to send out their name with their million dollar stake. But it's interesting. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't know why. That's always been one that why some places can charge what they do, and it's completely okay, and others don't. Maybe it's special occasion uh, places. I don't know, but like. There's also many business meetings at places like that with with private dining that they just oh, light it up. Light it up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about your timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that you never worked in Chicago. You never worked in New York. You weren't really in the, the beard house, you know, wheelhouse. So where did you get your start? So I went to Clemson. Then I went to culinary school at Johnson & Wales in Norfolk and came here. I think it was right after it was the summer of 1999. I did an internship at Acacia in Carytown um, that was beside the old guitar works in the old white church building. Um, and walk up and down those steps. Well, I didn't, but like people like Dave Martin, yeah, he did a lot. <laughs> like Martin the servers got whipped in that restaurant. <laughs> it was incredible. Like they had to be in such good shape because they ran like down. crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I, I went there and worked, um, did my internship, finished all that stuff, ended up staying on. And, um, you know, back then, um, let's see, TJ Enderley was the sous chef. He, I think, kind of runs or is a manager at Stella's now after years at Sharper Ballot. Um, Andrew was the lunch guy. Andrew Manning was the lunch guy. He made salads and like grilled portobello Chef mushrooms and stuff. It's the dream team. Yeah. Um, He's going to, no, this is a list is about to be a laundry list. Wait for it. Cause uh, it's a, it, Dale, Dale really is the guy, the grandfather of Richard. Bill, Bill, Bill Foster was there, went on to do some pretty good things. Um, Kevin Roberts was part-time. He worked at like bamboo and then came and helped us. Um, Phil Perro came on shortly thereafter, which was like Dutch and Company Phil. Um, Kevin Roberts is Pearlies. Kevin Roberts is Pearlies. Oh, God, who else was there? I know I'm Jay leaving. Jay Frank from, ever? Jay Frank was kind of around. Dave Booth was kind of around. I think he does like U of R culinary program or something. Um, so what did you learn in that kitchen from Dale and, and, and those folks? Uh, to, to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> um, I'm not gonna make for a very good podcast. Yeah, you know what? I'm no, not gonna yeah, answer that question. Yeah. No, I, I, I. They were they were in all honesty great. Like 
all of them individually, but let's just say Dale, for the most part, he opened all of our eyes as to what was great, you know? Like, um, it wasn't really about... Back then, you didn't really have to advertise or hang your hat on, like, buying locally. It was just something he he did. So it wasn't part of the conversation or it wasn't used as, like, a marketing tool, which it kind of became down the road or a promotionary tool. Um, it was just kind of what you did. So it was really more about, like, product sourcing and just, in a sense, doing the right thing and, like, why wouldn't you drive to Urbana and get your crabs like why wouldn't you use this local farmer for rabbits instead of some PFG thing or whatever some mainline source thing and I think that was the biggest takeaway was just like all this stuff is at our fingertips and in in Virginia um and at the time you know that wasn't really things that were considered like oh wow we're not we should be using Virginia for what it is, or we should be using the Mid-Atlantic for what it is, like, oh, wow. that It was just what most folks in town weren't doing, like the corner bar and the fan and whatever, any other little small restaurant. They weren't quite there yet, and I think that was the biggest thing. The biggest takeaway was, like, buy, buy local, go check these guys out, you know, give give these guys our money instead of, some other big company and like it's going to be better and what what kind of grows together goes together and like there was this whole philosophy that we didn't really talk about we just did if that makes sense sure. and and in all honesty that's probably how I am now like I don't I don't we don't I feel like it's pro- come full circle because yeah. that's exactly how your new restaurant yeah. Alewife yeah. is in it's in, intended to use what Chesapeake, Virginia, everything. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I, I guess I was trying to get to the the self realization there that like maybe we do need to talk about it more instead of it's just what we do. You, you know what I mean? And I, that, I think that was how it was then. Is like, no, we just this is how you do it. You know, it wasn't like a thing that we you know beat the drum over or whatever. But yeah, I think it has kind of come full circle. Um, at least with me is like. You know, as a young cook, you run from kind of where you came from. And, uh, you know, you want to cook Spanish food or French food or Italian food. And I'm anything but South Carolinian food or Southern <laughs> food, you sure. know. Um, and then when I got to open my first restaurant, I was like, man, I want to just do the stuff that I grew up with. And that kind of became like the variation of what was the Roosevelt. And now um, I kind of feel like Alewife is now like in some sense the maybe the grown up version of even that or what I'm supposed to be in Virginia now that really Virginia is what I am now, right. you know? Um, and you know, it's kind of a nod to the the Bay and it's kind of a nod to Dale and everything that he instilled in us and, you know, kind of a nod to Virginia, you know, um, and, and Virginia sourcing and products. So maybe that's what it is. You had mentioned, uh, running back to the South Carolina food that you grew up with. How, what was your childhood like in terms of food, and when did you realize you were going to be in the kitchen the rest of your life? Um, I mean, you know, my story's not very different than any other probably or a lot of cooks, but I, I grew up in South Carolina. Um, my mom's family was from the lower part of the state. My dad's family was from, like, the foothills. So, 
one side of the family was grits and mashed potatoes and the other side was rice and peas and you know fish i guess um but i i think that it's somewhere along the line i realized that i couldn't imagine myself in a coat and tie and being surrounded by food i'd worked at a butcher shop in high school like it was just like fun to interact with people and it was a alternative lifestyle and right around that same time the food network had already kind of hit it and you had people like Batali and Lagasse and all these guys that were making food not just cool but an acceptable like it wasn't an acceptable thing really you know and call it what you will the food network at least knocked the door down on making it okay to, for me to turn to my dad and my mom and be like, I'm not going to finish this thing at Clemson. I want to go to culinary school. Like, this is not for me, but this is. And it was enough seeing those guys on TV for them to be like, okay, this is cool. You know, like, this is a job. This isn't just like, you know, where you go to screw around or right. whatever, you know. Um, and, you know, once I – got to Norfolk and into school and into more jobs and then finally into Acacia I was like this is for me like there's no turning back this is awesome but I also like like the way we worked I liked the hours I liked everything that came with it um I liked that we talked about business but we didn't feel like we were running a business right. you know like it was just everything that was at your fingertips um but it didn't feel like work you know and it still to this day doesn't feel like work so that must be a good feeling. It is. And also slightly horrifying, yeah, too. I mean, there's, a lot of pressure, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on you. Like, we shouldn't undersell this. I mean, you're an owner yeah. of two restaurants. Right. And you have staffs, and you have people depending right. on you and your vision. How, how do you reconcile that with what you really want to do is in the kitchen, just making people smile with what you're eating? Um, I, would, I would definitely say the job has changed. I, I also don't work... I mean, I might work as much as I used to, but it's not the same style of work. Sure. Or, or at least I should say I'm away from my family maybe the same amount of time, but I definitely do less at work. My job has just shifted into more talking about what could be. So, like, for instance, at Wife, I don't tell Bo. Bobo does whatever he wants to. Like, that guy ru runs the restaurant pretty much. Um, But, you know, I, I, I subtly try to, drop hints of what I might like and see what happens. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with Katie. It's the same thing with the guys at, at, at Southbound is like, well, this is, or I'll casually send them like a recipe or, or a menu shot of something else. I'm like, this would be kind of cool. And then it sometimes ends up on the, on the thing. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's the Jedi mind sometimes, trick. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes Bo is like, no, uh, yeah, I'm not no, going to do not that. Doing that. That's a dumb idea. I'm like, all right, whatever, <laughs> man. You're the boss. Um, but, but, you know, I, I my job is, definitely turned into more of like a support role or covering for people or like I'm the extra person. Um, I still work Sunday, mo Sunday and Mondays like line cooking. Um, but for the rest of the week, I just kind of come and go and pop in and make sure people Fill are in, cool or yeah, if someone's sick or, you know, do whatever. Um, you, you had mentioned you're away from your family as much, uh, now as you were maybe when you were started, I'm friends on social media with mm -hmm. you. So I kind of know a little bit about your family. How do you balance fatherhood with with these kind of demanding jobs um 
uh, I mean, lean on our staff um, to let me do things. Like I started coaching my kids' basketball team this year. What? So you're have, I, you got to be great at that. So we have Friday night practice or Friday after school practice. So we we only do one one day a week of practice. But I, I go up there at three thirty after school. We practice and then I like switch my shoes and I run up the southbound. You know, right right before five. But like, you, are you, you a yeller? Are you a screamer? What, um, what's your coaching I, style? I I. I had insisted that I wasn't going to be that, and then the last couple of weeks it's turned into that. <laughs> Bobby Knight on the sidelines. Yeah, but it's yeah, well, yeah. I I try not to yell at him too much, but it's hard to keep it keep the mouth shut. That's for sure. Um, especially when I feel like I've been yelling for the last twenty years. Sure. And not necessarily like yelling at people, but it's loud. Like it's loud. You have to right. talk loud. You know, it's just part of kind of who you are, I guess. But so I I try to make up with. If these days, maybe not being home every night, I definitely come home earlier. You know, I'm not sitting there scrubbing the floors and stuff and wrapping everything up. So I am home a little bit more, but I try to fill it in with stuff like that, like during the day stuff, or I'll, you know, take them lunch to school or whatever. Like we were just, like now my kids are older, we're like buddies now instead of like little kids that need to be taught stuff instead of tying shoes yeah, you're now right. talking about what right type like of shoes real you stuff right, right right so, kind of cool it's very neat so did your and I, I don't know if your work slowed down and this may be something you don't want to talk about so obviously we can edit this um i don't know if your work slowed down due to your recent health scare mm-hmm. are you okay talking about that yeah, yeah yeah we can talk about it um uh, yeah, uh, so last December I got super sick. Um, I thought I had bronchitis. Couldn't shake a cough. Remember last December it snowed like mm-hmm. 12 inches or whatever, 8 or 10 inches, whatever it was. I was shoveling the driveway, and I was like, I just don't feel right. And my wife had been badgering me to go to the doctor. And I never go to the doctor anyways. So I finally went, and I got in there, and they were like, are you are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, give me a Z-pack. Let me get out of here. I got bronchitis or something. And my blood pressure was 295 over 195. Jesus. And uh, they were like, you got to go to the hospital right now. So I was like, all right. I went to the hospital. I called my wife. I was like, hey, I got to go to the hospital. Did you drive yourself? Yeah. Oh, great. He just, he just had bronchitis. Really. Yeah. I, know. I was like, there's nothing wrong with Dr. Me. Gregory over here, go. self-diagnosed. This guy's got to go the sniffles, man. And so I got there, and they are like, holy crap, like, you're super sick. You you have congestive heart failure. And I was like, oh, my God. And then and then I guess, like, at that point, I was like, man, this is – is this what's going on? Um, but, uh, you know, I, they still don't really know exactly what happened. Maybe it was a, a viral implications or – yeah, super high blood pressure that was untreated for a long time, whatever. But now, yeah, yeah, I'm better now. But that's part of the reason I don't work as much. And then the other part of it is just I don't have any – like I, we hired people and there's not – a lot of times there's, I'm just in the way. Sure. Um. So – and the job has changed into more of like a, a fill-in and – Help out and do whatever I need to do. I don't do. think you'd ever be in the way. I think that that is. Well, no, wife, I'm definitely in the way. <laughs> well, so all that being said, <laughs> I mean, it's it's whether you like it or not, it's Lee Gregory's ale wife. I mean, it's your name. Sure, 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 sure. So when do you, at what point do you say, this is going to be, 
I'm going to step in and make the suggestion or I didn't appreciate that what was being done that night or something like that. Well, I mean, I, I, I any opportunity I when I really feel so, like something's gone sideways, I'll change it to whatever I want it to be, but really I have just tried to surround my, myself with people that are better than me and you know, let them do what they're there to do. And I mean, I don't want to say that 42 year old, 42 is a old by any stretch of the imagination. Please don't say that. Please don't say that. It is old in restaurant years. You know what I mean? I do. It's young in podcast years. If you don't keep up and if you're not still reading and if you're not still following, you kind of can get past. Um, and, you know, it was always the long-term goal to be able to put everyone that's kind of been with me into the right positions, and and I've tried to do that, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I, I think that's kind of like that, like my new model. <laughs> like you guys are – I like it. you. You guys do you it. Do Let's it. do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how can I help, you know? Yeah, yeah that's it. A good point. I'd like to go backward down the number line again to uh, the timeline. Yeah, okay. real quick. So you were at Acacia, mm-hmm. and from there, what was your next move? Acacia, uh, I'm going to screw these years up too because I can't, I can't remember them anymore. But I think around like 2004, 2005, Dale bought the old lighthouse that became six burner. Right. I think. Um, a year, two years after that, he sold it. I stayed on to be the chef, and I guess you could have called me then the sous chef or chef or whatever for him. Excuse me. And then it was sold. I stayed on for a couple years, and right around 08, 09, kind of when the the market crashed, my wife had gotten into grad school at Mary Baldwin. My in-laws had a house in Fishersville. And so, and out of the blue, the guy that was opening up that place, Mockingbird, gave me a call. And so we decided that if I like Stanton, then we would rent our house here, whatever. We could move up there, stay in her in-law's house. She could rock out her master super quick. And we could just like financially maybe be okay. And then just Stanton was not for me. Just not my scene. Small town. Too small? Too small. Too, I don't want to say too mountainy, but there's like a there's a there was a vibe that just was not me up there. Um, too much fresh air. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> I needed some smut. I needed some uh, you know tattoos and punk rockers in my. Uh, I don't, I don't know what it was. It wasn't for me. And I ended up working in Charlottesville for Charlottesville for about a year. And that whole time, even when I was at Six Burner, I was trying to 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 open a restaurant so i would call the folks in town that that i leaned on whether it be dale or manny or johnny javos or kendra and was like what do you think about this deal what do you think about this deal and then you know kind of out of the blue let's say somewhere around 2010 kendra called up and was like you know my landlords are buying this building in churchill do you want to do it and I think I went the next day, and then the next day I was like, yes, please, just tell them that I'll sign the lease. Mm-hmm. And that was how the rest of all started. Which is awesome. How is it working with someone who had already had such a long 
like long experience in Richmond restaurant. And you kind of were beside her for a while in at Acacia mm-hmm. and then started working with her. How was that transition? Um, I, I, th- I think fine. I, uh, <laughs> I, it was so I, long I'm ago. trying to, yeah, I, I think with any of those, those, those older guys that I still talk to all the time and ask for advice, uh, it was just very important to have someone that had been through it to just just show you how to pay the taxes. Like you don't even know how to set an account up, sure. You know, or where to, what city building to go to to get this, this, and this. Like that's the hardest part of a restaurant is going from a cook or just a chef to a business owner. Like right. it's a dramatic shift um, in responsibilities, and it's why half the time things don't work out the way it is you know like all you want to do is cook and then you realize that that's not even the job anymore it's putting out fires left and right and if you're not able to accept that or take care of everything else you just tailspin you know from the minute you're open you can look around town and just see who's already in a tailspin Mm -hmm. and it's not really that they're not doing a good job you know it's a lot to keep up with. It's just wrapping their head around yeah. all of those extra Everything details. Everything else. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like going from, I don't know how to, I always put things in sports terms. It's like going from being, being a, a quarterback, quarterback to, to a coach. The team. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's I mean, it literally Yay. is that simple. He's yeah. using the Jedi mind trick again. He's yeah. putting it in your brain. Yeah. Or you're putting it in his brain. Yeah. Yeah. I don't it really know. Is that, it really is that simple. Um, and the minute you have to step away from one, then something else flares. You know, it's just a constant juggling act. What was Churchill back in 2010, 2011? I mean, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but really it's 10 years ago. It's 10 years ago. Uh, I'll tell you what it was is that I lived in Richmond for 10 years before that, and I might have come to Churchill twice. Maybe, maybe, surely more than that, but um, it was it was somewhere you, you or, or should I say, I might have gone to the place where the Roosevelt is twice. Is it a Mexican restaurant? It was a Mexican restaurant. Ah, damn, I, it'll come to me. I can't remember the name of it. But I just mean, like, you didn't go to the past Broad or Marshall or Grace. Like, that's where you went in Churchill. It was it was a it was a terrible, terribly bad neighborhood for a long time. Um, but around 2010, 2011, people started kind of pushing, I guess that would be east, Um and then the Roosevelt opened on the corner, and in some sense, the that whole backside of the neighborhood started to to change. And it was, you know, really cool to kind of be a part of that and kind of out in front of it and feel like, you know, for the first time there, you you meant something. You know, I can only imagine it's a a lot the same way as like Jason felt when he opened Comfort. Like there wasn't much there then. Like it meant something. It helped kind of pave the way to new things and i don't know i don't know that all that stuff happened in churchill because of the roosevelt but it's one of the building blocks that helped a lot of things happen which is you still that, have to have bricks to build the building that got, and that's, yeah that's i mean one that got us sub rosa that got us metzger that got us dutch company like it was it was cool it was a cool kind of it, thing it, to be a part of yeah. set. i mean it, the, yeah. the building it's it's you guys it's right. are still building beautiful things uh, union Union market. market. I mean, there's just great things happening still in that area. So it was definitely pretty neat to kind of be a part of that first wave for sure. 
you remember the first press you got from the Roosevelt? Because it was pretty, it was immediate, an immediate success for you guys. It seemed like at least media wise. Well, if he's going remember. 2010, he was nominated in 2011. So it was a nice. That's pretty fast. That's a pretty quick. Yeah, it was an absolute whirlwind. I remember that. Like we opened five days a week, and. And then Southern and Living then, and then, came. And, yeah, and then it wasn't very long that we're open seven days a week. And once that happened, we got, I think, reviewed locally. And then it was off to the races. I mean, we got a bunch of bar stuff. Bar bar things were just like becoming a real big thing uh, regionally, bar press. And that was something that didn't exist mm-hmm. beforehand, at least here in Richmond, like – that kind of took off, and at the same time, Virginia wine was built. It's just like catching lightning in a, in a bottle, literally. And and all that first run, I think it was probably Southern Living, maybe a few things in Garden, like John T. Edge came in. We did Garden and Gun, and then the SFA came that summer, right. and that kind of led to a few more things. And by then, it was like like a rocket ship, you know. Does that mess with your mind at all when you're in the kitchen? You know that you're getting accolades. You know you're getting nominated for these prestigious awards. Are you in the kitchen some nights paralyzed by, I don't know, fear that you're not living up to maybe what people think you are? Well, I don't know that I've ever been really paralyzed by fear as much as... High blood I've pressure ser- and yeah, congestive except, heart failure. Yeah, except for that. <laughs> uh, just heart problems, not fear. Uh, no, I... I don't know that I've I've personally been that way. I, I often it l- was left scratching my head, like how did this all happen? Like, and again, not to sell short what we did or what we meant, but most places that get that kind of heat or press are higher end places. Uh, at the time, they were anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, l- let's just say like the traditional kind of tasting menu type restaurants were where those kinds of accolades and awards have traditionally kind of come from. And I think that was the thing that was hard for me and maybe even everyone else to socially understand is like, why this place? This isn't the place that it's supposed to get this kind of stuff. And now you see 10 years later, Beard House hands out these awards to guys that are doing barbecue and fried chicken and, and, and everything else. Yeah, so like, fans even it was a cool, you know, now it, we've kind of broken that that mold in a sense of what is a good restaurant and the criteria has changed. Um, but at the time, I think it was just like, you know, we do what we do and don't change everything and all what what we've been doing kind of got us here and we stand by that. And if people want to come in and go, I don't get it or what in the world, how could this place be this? Like, sorry, it's this is what we do. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we serve catfish. See ya. You know, like, Such if, good catfish. you know, like that's just, <laughs> I think you just kind of have to stand by it and not sure. pay attention to it. And the minute you start believing it, you, that's when things go sideways, you know, and I, in all honesty, I've uh, tried to always be as humble and as like gracious as possible because you know it all goes away as fast as it came. And I guess in some sense, not doing that traditional like higher end style food, um, it always kind of semi felt fake to me, anyways. So I was like, yeah, one day I'll open a really swaggered out restaurant that's awesome and whatever, but we ain't got there yet. <laughs> 
I don't I, if you're I don't if swaggered means high end to you, then you and I have a debt because I think what you all are doing now has its own incredible swagger. Well, I, the, I don't think anybody realizes what right. goes on in the back of Alewife with right. how sustainable you all right. are, your practices of using all of everything essentially. Right. I mean, that's a lot of swagger. Right. Well, we still try to do and I guess it's always been kind of the the mantra, at least for me, is to um, try to give at least that same style of food or flavors, but maybe in a uh, a more inclusive or less intimidating kind of environment, a funner place. But also now, you're, you, I mean, you're. I guess you're right. Like we we certainly try to use everything in different ways, and we're the first people to try to use mackerel and bluefish and all the things that usually kind of get kicked to the curb um, in other restaurants to uh, kind of show off the waterways of the Chesapeake Bay and Mid-Atlantic. But also, it's to uh, the same thing, to deliver affordability. Sure. I mean, fish is expensive now. Um, when I first came to town, you know, black sea bass would be a dollar twenty-five a pound. Now it's six six twenty-five a pound. Our calls like it's just expensive. Um, I remember now. You know, as I clean those things every other week, thinking that at one point at Acacia we would put like four black sea bass fillets on a plate, and it would be like nineteen dollars. Like, oh, my God, I would charge $48 for that now, you know? <laughs> yep. Like, it's just staggering amount of money and how, how far things have come in the last 15, 20 years. Um, but, no, yeah, so in, in doing so, we try to buy the stuff that people don't want and try to use up the tails and rib cages and scrape everything we can and try to be as least wasteful as possible. Um the tails and the rib cages are my favorite part of the fish. <laughs> it's good to know. I can get you, you that for your engagement. It, you, you should absolutely try a tail or a rib cage. I will. What are you surprised that? Um, because I think alewife, it's really interesting. I love. I love. I grew up in a restaurant. You know that. I, I love all of the back end of the fish, and I love right. you know the chicken hearts and all that craziness. What have you found has been attractive to individuals that you were like, oh, they're eating this, and I didn't. I like it, but I didn't think that it was going to go as well as it did. You know, I, I, in all honesty, don't know what or what or when that change shifted. Like, so at Southbound, we had a guy um, named June that used to save all the tail. Like, he started cleaning the fish a little bit differently. I would walk into the walk-in. There would be a, a fact bag of like twenty-five rockfish tails. I'm like, "What are y'all doing for those with those things? Like, what is going on?" And then he and Bo would sit around. They'd cover them in like go go jang or whatever, and they would barbecue them. And I'm like, "Oh my god, this is incredible!" And as you know, we would save all those things, collars and tails and stuff, for our staff to eat. And then we were like, well, we should start giving them away. And then I think Joe put them on the – started selling them. And I was like, what is going on? Are we really about to sell all this stuff to people? Like, this is awesome. But you see it in, like, Japanese restaurants or in Tokyo sure. or in New York City or whatever. And um, then people started buying them. Then we'd sell specials at Southbound. And people in body hair were buying, like, collars. 
Um, and it became a thing that we could just give away or, you know, you guys came in, we'd give you, you know, stuff that we would throw away or eat ourselves. And it became right. a cool, like, send-out thing. And then we got to Elwife and Bo started saving everything. And he's like, I'm going to try to do a mackerel tail dish. Um, and, of course, like, you got to have a ton of mackerels to right. sell, to actually sell these things. And so then one day, um, some somebody came in, a friend or whatever, and we were like, let's do a giant poo-poo platter. <laughs> like, let's just give them everything that we have. That we have one or two yeah, of. Yeah, we have one or two because of. Because you'd only have two fish right. cheeks or one collar. And or- so that thing became like... You know, we might have had like a one or two like big cotton boards or something that we felt like we could put some things on, and then it turned then it turned to a lazy susan, and then that became like the thing that's the I think the coolest thing in in Alewife is the siren song. Like it's this very unique kind of appetizer sampler thing, and you get a little bit of everything. But it for us is a way to maximize scraps um, and still feel like. We're giving someone a cool experience and make money on stuff that we would normally throw away. Sure. Um, and to make us even more, um, I guess, in a, sustainable. So it's a giant. Gi- it's really and truly. It might, it, it, if, if there's a group of six, you guys just go in and order two, and then roll out of there. Yeah, it um, should be enough. <laughs> yeah, it'll be. It's a. It's <laughs> great. And it, you end up with like. I mean, you guys do variations on ranch, which I think is yeah. awesome. I mean, there's hush puppies, yeah. which I, I'm guessing that you're using batter to use up yeah. some of the stuff. I mean, like it's it's so cool and it's very pretty. So you guys have yeah. honed the cutting board practice <laughs> into some beautiful locally made bowls. Yes, yes. So hey, there you go. There you go. Something for everyone. You've mentioned Southbound a couple times now. Uh, so in between Roosevelt and Alewife, you opened up Southbound mm-hmm. in Bonaire. Talk about that decision to to expand your restaurant empire. Um, I, you know, I uh, I was kind of trying to do something else, and along that around that same time, um, the restaurant community was just like kind of exploding with hugs and kisses, and everybody was riding a very cool wave together, like a giant Richmond wave. It was fun. Um, but through that, I met Joe through Jason at pasture. Um, and he and I would, you know, go get coffee or hang out after work or whatever. And he was trying to open kind of a market concept, which probably still to this day kicks me for talking him out of that. Um, and I was trying to do something and one thing just kind of led to, to another and it ended up with us trying you know trying to open a restaurant together um again the same kind of rules kind of four eyes are better than two kind of thing and we looked around and we both lived in Bonaire on the edge of Bonaire and it was just a good opportunity to go over there and try to do something different um and for us both of us different than what we were already doing you know a little bit bigger restaurant something a little bit more for everyone um and uh you know we had people that could needed growing opportunities so part of it was for ourselves and part of it was to give jobs to people who were sooner or later going to leave us to go do something either on their own or for someone else because it was a new thing you know so we're i don't want to say we're forced to grow but kind of kind of forced to do it you know 
How different? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, definitely, definitely. How different is the South Side, quote unquote, than would you say the fan and Churchill is from a dining <laughs> well, well, scene? It's, it's definitely different. Now, here's the thing. Like we've what we found over these five years is that people eat anything everywhere. So like they don't necessarily order too much differently, but the tendencies are way different. Like so at El Wife, um, you know, we'll cook up right up until ten o'clock. You know, at the Roosevelt we would cook until eleven o'clock, get out of there at twelve o'clock at night or whatever. Uh same at Heritage. Like it's down to the wire of cramming people in. Because people go out that late. And Southside at 8.30, it's a ghost town. You know, so we would have crammed out. We would have filled all the way up, done extra people, whatever. And then 8.30, done. See you guys later. It's all at once. I mean, I guess it's the beauty of having a big enough restaurant to do that. Sure. Um, And, you know, we don't have that luxury at the other spots. They're, They're smaller. But it's just a different, different diner. They come early. They all come at once. You crank them out and then you're finished. You're, you're done. It's so strange working over there and then being home at nine o'clock. And I don't mean just being home; like the whole kitchen spick and span clean at nine. Because everybody stopped and eating at eight fifteen. Right. They're gone. You know. Um, and it's not like that every night, but it certainly is a lot. But I, you know, it's nice. It's nice to work somewhere that has a parking lot. Like it's so silly how I've changed and like my as I've gotten older and had a family and had kids and like I mean I I, I see that I, I see that know, cup of coffee like I am a consumer too you know <laughs> um, you know I drove right by a bunch of places to so I wouldn't have to get out of my car um, so we could go through the drive-through and if you think of a coffee place with yeah. dri- I'm not gonna say it out loud. <laughs> I am a consumer too. I remember when the Southbound announcement was made. It was almost like these rock stars of Richmond restaurants are joining forces. Like this, like the, was, the Wonder Twins. I don't, I don't know about you, but in my writing about food in my world, when that was announced, my cell phone and I'm sure yours was like four thousand times mine just blew the f up. Yeah, everybody's like, "Did you know this?" And you know, there had been we'd heard, right. but nobody had really said anything till you guys and. It wasn't the rock stars. It was the mother rock stars of Richmond have joined forces. Talk about a rocket ship. It was just weird. Like, that is so (laughs) weird to think about. I mean, but you're right. Like, it was just like, I would just remember talking to my wife and Joe and just like, what is going on? Like, why does this matter? But it mattered so much. And I will say that even now to this day, like, those were good crazy times in Richmond dining like uh, there was stuff happening all the time the press handled things differently it was more excitement I feel like now it's just kind of like part of our routine and it's it's just not as exciting we've seen it we've been through it we've had 10 years of like this restaurant boom and nothing is quite as exciting as it once was like if if, 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 I don't if know. If, I feel like if you and Joe decided to open up, like, let's just name an Itzakaya, this corner of Scott's edition, right. my phone would 100% be very similar Maybe in so. raging. It just feels different. I don't know if I pay attention to it less or not. I th- I it really could be know. just that you're yeah. working only on Sunday and Mondays, right. and that's when you have your phone. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, needless to say, uh, at some point, you decided you were, it was time to leave the Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. 
what was what went to that decision? And I'm, I know it was, I'm sure it was emotional for you. Yeah, it was absolutely emotional. I, you know, just time to to move on. Um, and to to see if it could be done without anyone helping, and to try to find my own way. I mean, that was really really what it came down to. I mean, I was semi trying to, I was trying to buy it. And then I, you know, and then Kendra kind of bought the building with a partner, and then it was just like, well, this is, this is not for me. Like this is too much, and it was probably, you know, it was certainly for the best. I mean, I couldn't have juggled all that and always have a heart stop. That was right. stupid. It's probably the reason why, but whatever. I won't blame them. Do not blame the or Roosevelt myself. building. Yeah, it's a yeah, beautiful building. building. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can see the headline now. Roosevelt yeah. nearly kills yeah. acclaimed yeah. chef. Kills. Star chef. Yeah. Rockstar chef. Rockstar um, chef. But no, it's just time to move on. I mean, you know, sooner or later, Joe and I will move on, and it's just the way it is, you know. New things. He'll want to do something. I'll want to do something. It won't line up, or maybe we'll open many more things. Who knows? Um, but I've certainly tried to be – you know, supportive and uh, for whatever else that he wants to do or whatever. You know, we're not certainly not tied at the hip. Um, and there'll be more that I want to do by myself too. So, so before we wrap this up, what it, what what can you tell us about your future in Richmond Dining? Anything in the works that you can talk about? Uh, no. I mean, we we <laughs> <Zero>. always <laughs> look around and. Joe and I look at things and, you know, people approach us and, I mean, I look at other things. I mean, it's just more, you know, part of the re doing restaurants is getting addicted to doing restaurants. Like, the the part that I live in now at Southbound and Alewife is the boring part. Like, you get addicted to, like, creating something and trying to figure things out and, like, everything becomes super stale, super fast sure. uh, in, in the routine of life. That's just life, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, we always, or I always dream stuff up or, you know, have 100 concepts written down or ready to jump at the drop of a hat. But really, everything depends on location and, like, what someone's given you and is it a good deal. Because if it's not a good deal anymore, it's just not worth it. Things are too expensive. Sure. And there's too much out there. I mean, there's something everywhere now, you know. Um, so, I don't know. I think now it's just kind of enjoy life for what it is. And, you know, we'll have some other things happen and have some good stuff coming down the road. And it'll be exciting. And um, make sure that 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 place has a good shot at like a, a long run and then maybe something down the line. Perfect. Well, you're listening to Roby Martin and Scott Wise with Lee Gregory of Alewife and Southbound on Edith, Virginia. Thank you. All right, Roby. We learned a lot about Lee Gregory just then. There was one story that, that got cut from the, uh, from the interview for time. Uh, actually, not for time. I don't know if Lee actually realized we were still recording when he said it. But because you guys started we, geeking out about sports, and I yeah, took a we nap. Talking about, we were talking about college football. Lee's a huge Clemson fan, and uh, the national title game had not yet been played. And we were talking about how he watches the games, and he referenced uh, his his game day uniform. Why don't you talk about that? I don't remember. All I know that there was no pants. 
So Eden Virginia fans, we leave you with the image of Lee Gregory, a pantless Lee Gregory on his couch. I do not leave you with that image. Scott leaves you with that. I just would like you to talk about a sporting function. Sports! This episode of Eat It Virginia. Eat It Virginia? <laughs> this episode of Eat It Virginia. <laughs> no! Oh, God, no.